Good morning. This is Melissa Hale Spencer at the Altamont Enterprise here with Emily Vincent. And I learned about Emily when she wrote us a letter to the editor. And it says, in part, we moved our many sheep, horses, and farm equipment here in 2013 from California for the better grazing land and farming opportunities that New York State provides to farmers. And then she adds, in her 10-plus years of Northern California homeownership, she never once experienced a decrease in property taxes. It increased every year. Now she's in burn, and it's the only person in 30 years of editing this newspaper I've ever heard praise New York for its taxes. <laughs> so I thought, I need to talk to this woman. And here she is. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a little about life in California and how you became a farmer. Well, we always, growing up, had chickens and vegetables. I grew up in a family of with five kids, and my father was a teacher and my mother was a stay-at-home mother. So, you know, which is a job in itself, for sure, with five kids. But we grew a lot of what we ate. And um, so I I grew up eating very healthy foods. As I moved away from home and went to college, I I missed that life, you know, having your hands in the dirt and raising chickens and almost being self-sustainable. And uh, when we moved to Petaluma after many years of moving around the country and different countries, actually, uh, we had an opportunity, my husband and I, to buy, to to lease five acres. And I had owned... uh, uh, a home in California for over 10 years, but we decided to move to the coast where it was uh, a little bit more, um, the farmland was a little bit better. So we moved to Sonoma County um, and we rented five acres there. And at the time I had some horses and we got some chickens and I started to, uh, to garden and um, my, we had a roommate and her name is Nia Hansen. She worked for George Lucas at the time. Uh, as in sound, actually. And she came home one day and she said, do you mind if we get five sheep? And I said, sure, why not? I went to to Eric and I said, we're thinking about getting a few sheep. And he said, as long as I don't have to touch them, look at them, (laughs) (laughs) do anything with them. And I was like, oh no, honey, we we got this. It's only five sheep. So the five sheep arrived at the farm from, from from George Lucas's farm. And a few days later, she said, do you mind if we take a few more? Because... He really wants to find good homes for his sheep. He wants to get into cows. I said, sure, why not? What's a few more sheep? That's like two, right? A couple? 55 sheep later. Oh, my god! <laughs> and my poor husband. <laughs> I think he just about had a heart attack. <laughs> I realized that I really loved sheep. And it was... Tell me why. Why do you love sheep? You know, they just... They look into your eyes. They have like a soul. They're very docile. They really like people. And they're just a very calming animal. They're just... So, tell me a little about... You had these now over 50 sheep on your yes. acreage in California. Yes. And what, what do you raise them for? Is it meat? Is it wool? Is it... So, initially, we received his sheep, which were black bellies, which were very wild sheep. I mean, he has... I don't know. Don't quote me on it, but maybe 15,000 acres in Marin on the coast. Um, and so these sheep were basically wild (laughs) and, um, we got them in, they were in various stages of pregnancy and I had never delivered uh, a lamb before I delivered horses, but not sheep, you know? So, 
um, we started birthing them out and trying to, you know, coordinate our efforts and see where we were actually going with this. And we decided to go into the meat industry, the meat market, um, because this breed was known for its, its mild flavor and they're a meat breed. Um, but afterwards, working with them for a while, a couple of years, we decided we needed something calmer. <laughs> so we sold everything and we went to a different breed of sheep. And what breed is that and what breed are you with now? So we, we went into white dorpers, Nia and I, and now we, do, we still have white dorpers. Well, we just had a photographer take some pictures of your sheep oh, on awesome. the, the Helderberg tour this past weekend, and they're beautiful. Yeah, just we love our sheep. Them. They're almost like sparkling white. They, they really are. Yeah. It's like they have self-cleaning hair. It's a hair yeah. wool breed, so it's not a wool sheep. Per so se. tell us a little about the trek across the country, why you <laughs> made it, and how you made it. Moving was horrendous, and I told my husband, we're never moving again. Like, burn is it? You know, this is the end for us. So um, it took about a half a year to pack up everything. We had corrals, we had fences, we had, I mean, you, the whole gamut. By then I had 85 sheep, and um, so one of our neighbors let me pasture my sheep there. The first winter that we moved here, I believe it was in 2013, and it was a really hard winter. And so luckily, we didn't have to bring the sheep out at that time because we didn't have anything set up. We didn't have fencing set up. We moved out here in October. Well, November. Oh, not, a, so. not an opportune <laughs> time to move in not the really. in the hill towns. <laughs> How did you choose Bern? How did you choose the hill towns? Ironically, we lived in um, a little town called Petaluma in Sonoma County. And I, I was in nursing school. And I was working for a man named Bobby Mangano. And I don't know if you know Joe. His father just passed. I think he was 95. Yes. Um, but I worked for Bobby in his little cafe called the Three Cooks Cafe in Petaluma. Very small hole in the wall. Best food ever. And Bobby had been there about, I'd say, 35 years in the business. And I walked in. We had eaten there many times, like pretty much regulars. And I said, I really need a job. And so he gave me a job as a waitress while I was in nursing school. And when we came out to look at New York, he said, you need to go to Bern. Because I grew up in Bern, and Bern is the prettiest place in the whole world. And I was like, okay, Bobby. He's a big talker. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I've been to a lot of pretty places in the world. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that Bern is the most prettiest place. But <laughs> we got to Bern, and it indeed was like waking up in a postcard every day. So oh, wow. Well, just we have to take a little side trip here. I want to get okay. back to Bern, but you say you've been many places in the world and you mentioned this before. Tell me where you've been and why. So, um my dad was a teacher and also um he did um like more missionary work um when we were younger and he wanted to move to Haiti before the revolution. So, he moved all of us to Haiti for about a year and a half when we were younger. And what was Haiti like? Haiti was well, it was during the revolution, so it was a little bit scary, I'd say. And moving there, I think I was about 11. And, you know, we didn't speak Creole. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a culture shock for, for us, I believe. Yeah. And then we moved right when the revolution was starting to take place. So we pretty much had to flee, I think. Gosh, <laughs> so, what a childhood. Yeah. And then I lived in, in um, Canada for a while. and Whereabouts you know, in Canada? In Ottawa. So that's cold. <laughs> yeah, he went from one extreme to the yeah, other, private-wise. So I had horse, a horse there, too. So, 
I was kind of used to the cold. I missed the cold weather. I missed the seasons. In California, you just don't have seasons. Wow. So or rain. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to go back to burn. And your husband, you, you said initially he wasn't going to touch the sheep. I assume now he's hands-on and into this project. He, he, you know, he's still, he helps when I need help. But he kind of lets me do my thing. So okay. I would say that it's pretty much a 100% woman-owned farm. Oh, my with goodness. With a little bit of help on the side once in a while. <laughs> now, it's named Two Rock. What, what's the significance of that? Uh, where we lived in Petaluma, there was a small town. We were right on the border of Two Rock. The town was called Two Rock, and it was very, very pi- picturesque. So we wanted to bring something from California with us. to the past. So, yeah, we kind of... Brought and it with us, the t- name. Tell us about your farm in Bern, how many acres and where it is and what it is you have there in terms of animals. So we live off 443 um, on Turner Road. And if you go up Turner, you go up a small mount, I guess hill, you would call it a hill up here. Um, and it overlooks the valley. It's very, very pretty. It's picturesque. We have 56.14 acres. The point one four is very important. <laughs> Partially it's wooded, which we're trying to conserve. And the other part is in pasture. And we've actually worked with um, Albany County Soil and Water to, to get the sheep out of the waterways, to fence off protected areas of our farm to um, protect waterways and the greater good of people and everywhere. Yeah. So. so one of the things you had mentioned to me is you're part of this WWOOF. Do you call it WOOF? WOOF. Right. Woof. <laughs> tell, tell us a little about that and how you got involved in that. It started in California. We just had a very small, you know, five, like I said, five acre property. And uh, a young kid, I guess, man that was in um, going to college contacted me and said, you know, I really would like a job, but I don't want you to pay me. I want you to give me room and board. And I said, well, that might actually work. So I met with him and he said, you know, there's this thing called woofing worldwide opportunities on organic farms. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. He's like, but it's a thing. And so, you know, for room and board, I'll help you around the farm and you feed me and, you know, house me and it might work out for us. He went to school during the day and he helped out a little at night and in the morning. And it works really well. And so this is a worldwide organization, and it allows people to experience organic farming with the idea of both understanding where their food comes from as well as perhaps spawning new farmers. Is that Exactly, exactly. A lot of people um, come to our farm, you know, an average, I'd say, the stay is two months on average. And they really come with no knowledge. I mean, a lot of people have never used a shovel which is hard for, for me to, <laughs> to understand, but they really haven't. I mean, people have come up from New York City for a few weeks, and they've never seen the stars. Like, I, I had a young man, like, actually look up at the stars and cry. Oh, my so goodness. So, for me, I don't understand that because I've never been there, but to, to, that experience is just so overwhelming for people. So, I want to, you know, enhance people's lives and give them an opportunity to experience something else. So what exactly does it mean to say your farm is organic? What, what, does, what does that consist of? Um, we're not certified organic. That okay. costs a lot of money. Okay. Um, right now, and we hope to, we strive for that, but we do not use any antibiotics, um, pesticides, herbicides on our fields. I don't plant GMO crops or GMO seeds in my fields. 
Um, so, well, tell us if you can what a typical day is like. And actually, we're going to have to ask you about a typical week because something we haven't <laughs> delved into is Emily has a double life. <laughs> tell <laughs> us about what you do when you're not on the farm. <clears throat> so, I'm an ICU nurse at New York Presbyterian in Cornell, at Cornell in New York City. So that's very intense work. It is. A cardiac ICU nurse job is very yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you split your time between New York City and Bern, which is, I mean, it's, it's so <laughs> different in so many ways. It's like a culture but, shock every week, going yeah. there and coming home. <laughs> and why did you decide to do it that way instead of, say, getting a nursing job closer to home? Or I have to pay the mortgage. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell us what a typical day on the farm is like. So usually we wake up around 7.30. Um, we don't have milkers, so, you know, it's a little bit more relaxed. If we had, uh, you know, a milking herd, we'd have to get up a lot earlier. People that milk are on very strict schedules. So do people milk sheep? They do. Showing my own Can you ignorance. believe that? Yeah. They do. <laughs> and what is, what is sheep's milk used for? Uh, cheese. Oh, okay. It's like the best cheese you could possibly oh, wow. have. You okay. Know? You so, can go to Trader Joe's and get their feta. Their feta made with sheep milk is really great. Good to know. So your sheep, is, you said it's the same kind that you had moved to in California. Right. And that name was what? Again? White Dorpers. White Dorpers. And you are still in the meat business? We are. Do you we do sell, wool as well? We don't. Do, no, no okay. because it's a hair breed. So okay. there's a little bit of wool mixed in it, but yeah. it doesn't make it um, a good product for spinning i see um, but we do meet with them and we sell our meat at honest weight right now the honest weight food co-op yeah yeah, yeah oh. it's a great place they really love you know small farms they actually came out i called them and they came out with all their little managers and they walked the farm and they inspected everything i'm like this is really legit like they really care where their food comes from oh, so it great. was really i felt really honored that they chose our farm to be part of their lineup Nice. So is that the exclusive place that your meat goes? If our listeners want to buy meat they from you? They can come to our, us and oh, buy Oh, you sell directly us. as yes. well. Okay. We deliver. Oh, wow. I know. That's really amazing. <laughs> well, if I can drive to New York City, I can drive to Albany. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Gosh. Okay, so we're back to the typical day. You don't yes. have to get up early because you don't have milkers. I right. now know what so that means. So we get up about 7.30. We do morning chores because everybody gets fed before we get fed. That's my motto. And what do the sheep eat? And typically, they eat grass. So they're grass-fed sheep. But we move them to different pastures because we rotational graze. So they have like fences that move on different parts of the pasture? Well, luckily, we got a grant to have non-movable fences. So we actually have fences in the ground now that we don't have to move. And you just move the sheep. Right. Now we just move the sheep, which saves us an infinite amount of time (laughs) and heartache. (laughs) So is most of your land pasture land? I would say about two-thirds of it is pasture. And did you have to do something to make it pasture, or it just it came that way? What is the history of your farm? I mean, was it... The, I don't know the full history, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but during the rent wars, it was owned by the person that was like... Um, Stephen Van Rensselaer. Yes, thank you yeah. so much. And it, I think it was built in the early 1800s. On the wall upstairs in one of the bedrooms, they wrote 1809 in some... So you have an old farmhouse as well. Oh, how neat. And then we found Indian um, arrowheads around our pond. 
Oh, so, wow. Yeah, I guess they used to, when they went on their migratory path, they'd stop there. Neat. So the farm has a great little history. history. And then previously it was owned by um, uh, the Reliers, and they used to have, I guess, cows, but a long, long time ago. So, so the pastures were already in place when you... The pastures were somewhat in place, but there was no fencing. There was just weeds and grass. Yeah. So we frost seeded. We put... What does that mean? Frost seeding. Um, when it snows, like before, the, before it thaws in the spring, you overseed. And then when the snow melts, it pulls the seed into the ground. So we frost seeded clover on our pastures, and it's really helped a lot. Okay, so now we're back to your day. You yes. had, you've fed the sheep before yourself. Yes. And then you do take a moment to eat. We do eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we have various chores during the day. You know, there's always something to do. So I know Cleaning from the and... pictures a photographer took, you also keep chickens. We do, right? yes. And what tell us about that. You get eggs from them? We get eggs. I take okay. them into work and sell them at work usually. People in New York City just don't know what a fresh egg is. <laughs> Does a fresh egg taste different? It really does. It really does. Yeah. Oh, so I bet they love that. They do. Yeah. And do you have other animals besides them? We have horses and guardian dogs. What are Oh, guardian dogs that guard the sheep. They do. And what kind of dogs are they? They're called Anatolian Shepherds. It's a 6,000-year-old breed of dog. And um, actually, my friend that got me into sheep, <laughs> she got us the dogs. We actually rescued them. I drove to uh, Missouri to pick them up. And how many do you have? We have three. And are they dogs that live in your house and are pets? No, or they're, like, no. They... They're strictly working dogs. And so where do they live? So they live on the property. We put an invisible fence in like 44 acres of invisible fence. So they're kind of contained on the pasture lands and around the house and barn. And did you have to train them to herd sheep or is it something they, they do They don't instinct- herd the sheep. Oh, they, they just don't... literally they... guard them. They just bark. Usually a bark is enough. Um, we have a lot of coyotes in our hills, and so they just bark at night to keep them away. And it works. It really works. Have you lost many sheep to coyotes? I haven't lost any sheep to coyotes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So these they are actually brought a coyote good. once, well, the tail, but <laughs> that was when we first got them. So they've really done their job. I know that other, I've talked to other farmers in the area, in different counties, but they've actually lost sheep, a lot of sheep due to koi dogs and coyotes. And we haven't so, lost one, so I feel really fortunate. Yeah. That, they do their job. They do. Real <laughs> it, guard It annoys dogs. the neighbors once in a while, but <laughs> they do their job. So at what point do you take the sheep for meat, and how does that work? I mean, So usually they're a little before a year old, so they're full grown, and we take them to a USDA facility. I really like SUNY Cobleskill. They do a great job. Um, they teach the students. So I feel like I'm kind of adding to their learning yeah, um, we have really nice meat sheep. So the, they've commented that it's nice to cut them with the students because they're not little tiny animals; they're bigger, so they can. Really, so they do the butchering. They for do you. the butch- They do everything. And packaging, is that butchering. hard? You get like attached to sheep, or do, uh, you keep them at a distance um, so that it... I think, like, when you raise them for meat, yeah, you know, you have the meat sh- the meat sheep, which are usually the males. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and then you have the female sheep, which are for breeding. So the females, we keep really close to the barn, and the males, they go out in pasture. And, you know, you trim their hose and you take care of them, but you don't name them, become attached to them. The females, you know, usually they have a name. And 
Yeah, because you talked about how they look into your eyes yeah, they're and so things. Sweet. So you get as close to the females you because you know you're not going to yeah. have to kill them. And then the males, you keep at a distance. Yeah, and, and I think that any farmer that raises any kind of animal, like your number one goal is to provide a very good home and the best environment that you can for the animal, stress-free, well-fed, you know, disease-free environment. And, you know, that's an ethical animal production method. You know, not feedlots or, you know, uh, heavy handling of the animals. So they're in their natural environment with on our farm. Yeah, and they're grass fed, which I know is a thing now. People think yeah. the meat is much better when it's it um, is. done that I way. I mean, yeah. and it's grass doesn't just mean like grass, like on your lawn. It, it means everything. So that's why we frost seed clover and legumes into their diet because they they really do well on a higher protein diet like alfalfa, which is hard to grow up here, but. So what are your plans now for the future? If you, do you have like five-year plans, 10-year plans? How, do, how does this work? I want to become a mutton mogul. <laughs> no. I think right, initially it was just to get through the next winter. Yeah. <laughs> Which the, the last few winters were really, really hard. Not the one last year, I think. But the first two we came in on, the 2013, 14, I think 15 too. Was, was a bit hard. So I think I'm beyond that now, so I don't have to like be so anxious for the next winter. So I think just expanding our market, um, now that we have fencing in place this year, um, due to some grants that we received. And where were the grants from? Um, we received one from USDA and Albany County Soil and Water. So one was to keep the animals out of the waterways on our farm, that go down to the Fox Creek, which then go into larger tributaries that go to New York City. Um, and then the other ones from Albany County Soil and Water to do rotational grazing on our property. And you were about to tell us about the future, but I just want to hear a little about the winters and why they're so tough and what happens to the sheep in the winter. Do they stay outside or do you have to have barns for them? Or We do have, we have a lovely barn. That was there already. Yeah, it yeah. was there already. An that's, old one. Yeah, that's why we picked it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I needed something that was already in place. Um, some sheep stay outside, and some sheep stay inside and go outside with runs. It really just varies on, you know, like if I'm if they're pregnant, I like to have them closer to the barn. Um, but, you know, I did as my own little very unscientific study, <laughs> and I left some in pasture with a really nice run in, and of course we bedded it, you know, every week, so it was nice and toasty and. You know, they got round bales and water and all of that. But um, the sheep after the winter were better looking, the ones that were outside. Oh, isn't than the that ones interesting? That were kind of could go in and out from the barn. So even though they, they have hair coats and not wool, wool coats, it's enough that it keeps them Oh, warm. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And they're fatter, actually, the ones that were outside. Oh, isn't that they interesting? They were better looking. They looked healthier. Where is that breed of sheep from? I mean, where were South they? South Africa. South Africa. Can you believe that? And they do well in our winter. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was expecting you to say some northern climb. Yeah. Huh. So now that you're through the idea of not being so anxious over winters, do you have plans for what happens, let's say, 10 years from now? You, I, I would like to um, eventually be able to do meat because I really like providing like a wholesome quality meat to people in the area. Um, then I would also like to raise breeding stock. And the breeding stock, if you raise it, what does that mean exactly? Um, just that it's a high-quality sheep that other young farmers or new farmers can buy seed stock from me and then start their own flock. 
And you're just able to gauge like who you want to breed by how they look? Or? Yeah, and I actually have um, uh, a friend in the area. His name is Josh Miller, and he's kind of my mentor right now. He's won like multiple national championships and has had like the top suffix in, I think, the U.S. even. And so he's helping me gauge what I should keep and what should we should turn. And where is Josh Miller located? He's in Schoharie. Oh, right nearby. Yeah. yeah. So I sense, which surprises me, not knowing anything about farmers, <laughs> but there isn't a lot of competition between farmers. It seems like you're helping each other and you're eager to have other people do this. Yeah. Why Why is that? I mean, in most businesses, like, you want to be... <laughs> competitors get sort of um, aggressive towards each other. I just think that farming is... A team sport. You know what I mean? Without each other, we would have nothing. When I get stuck in the middle of winter and I've gotten my tractor stuck, like somebody will be right over to help me out. Like Kevin Crozier, our mayor, he has been great. He found out I was a new farmer to the area and he, you know, he farms and he's, they've done generational farming. And so he's like, you know, anything you need to borrow, I'll come help you out. And lots of other farmers in the area are, are the same way because they've started at you know, needing help themselves and asking on others. So it's not a, you don't keep track. It's not like I did for you, now you do for me. It's, it's just this general idea of helping when somebody needs it. Yeah, and, and a genuine caring, I think, for your fellow farmers, you know. Like, I'm an ICU nurse, so I'm pretty good at saving a life of a sheep or a lamb. And I've had people call me and, oh, you know, what do I do now? And I'll go over there and help them. So I think that, and I've even helped Josh with, with his lambing. So I think that it's just a give and take. You know, I have knowledge that you might not have, and you have knowledge that I don't have. And I think that if the world operated like that, we'd be a lot better off. I think you're right, yeah. but I think it's so rare. I'm trying to explore it further. <laughs> Maybe we'll learn something from you. So this, because we hear so much in even write so much about disappearing farms, mm-hmm. you know, this idea that, um, you know, these large corporate farms have so much, um, you know, their profit margins are such that it puts out of business the small family farms. And here you are starting this on a, you know, on mm-hmm. a small scale. And what I'm hearing is you, it's not like you want to become big, too big. You're, you're comfortable with what you're at and, I would like to grow a little, okay, um, for sure, because I would like to at least break even. (laughs) And I I have a number of sheep in my head that I need to do that to break even. But um, I think that when you become too big, I can't give enough of myself to all of my animals. And you start to, like, piecemeal yourself out down to the point where you don't notice certain things. And I think for me, like, if I see an animal hurt, like, of course, me as a nurse will... I'll help it, of course. And just me as a human being, I, I would hope that I would want that. But not being able to fully take care of my flock to the best of my ability, I think that's when I would say, okay, this is enough. Like, I can't grow bigger than this. Because, you know, I want to make sure they're all okay and healthy. Yeah, because as you're sure you're aware, the hill towns are just... Even I'm 64. <laughs> I can remember when there were farms all over the hill towns, and now they're just very rare. And it seems like the place you bought, perhaps, you know, that was once a farm, and the idea of having those just disappear is kind of sad. And are there other people like you that are? There um, are. And I think that 
um, New York is really trying hard, and that's a reason why we came to New York, was because New York is really looking at small farms and saying, okay, new farmers are disappearing. What can we do to get them in? And, you know, my neighbor on uh, a few streets over, um, he's a fifth-generation farmer, and he has, like, 15 tractors. Well, that's like a tractor a generation or two tractors. Who, who is that? Um, Lendrum. Oh, Alan the Lendrums. Oh, that's and a very so, old farm. Yeah, and yeah. so... For him, getting up every day and inheriting a farm or what have you and inheriting all of these, this equipment is nothing for him because it's just been handed down. But trying to get a first-generation farmer to where a fifth-generation farmer is, I mean, that's very hard to do in, in a, a lifetime. I mean, in order to farm properly, you need a tractor, minimum. And so you have very, a tractor because you've been trying it. What, what kind have you got? <laughs> we got a New Holland. <laughs> it's a great, great yeah. tractor. But... Um, and so all of these things cost a lot of money. And so then you're looking at land purchase. You're looking at livestock purchases. If you're going to do livestock, you're looking at equipment purchases. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And New York is, realizes that and is trying to help. So we're going to end this where we began with your coming to New York because of this help. But tell us more specifically what that help consists of. <laughs> and Emily is now going to consult the research she did before she came I here because actually. she is well prepared. I tried. And she's combining her love of the land and old school farming and fellowship with high tech. She's consulting notes on her cell phone. So. I actually called um, Ag and Mar- New York Ag and Markets. Yeah, and yeah. they really did a great job in pulling some information yeah. together for me. So there's a few things that are non-state resources that are in New York. Mm-hmm. like, um, And I think when they say non-state, it just means that it's non-governmental. Um, so Cornell Small Farms. I don't know if you know Cornell University. I have a daughter that went to the ag school there. Oh, it's a great <laughs> ag school. It's like the best. Yeah. So um, they really do a lot with small, small farms, helping to get farmers the expert assistance on all phases of farming. You can call there, and I have... I'm stuck on QuickBooks. And they're like, oh, yeah, we have an expert in QuickBooks. Here, let me put him on the phone with you. Crazy, right? Yeah, that's great. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, they really do care about small farms. Um, and then New York FarmNet. I know California has a FarmNet as well. But New York FarmNet is really great because um, it provides um, uh, information as far as uh, personalized education and business and, and planning to acquire farms and to become a farmer. And the NOFA of New York, which is uh, um, the organic uh, program in New York, they provide educational and technical assistance. Uh, And then they have the CADE, which is Center for Agricultural Development and Entrepreneurship. And they they talk about profit margins and how to increase your profit margins. Um, And I'm not sure how to do that really with meat sheep. They talk a lot about um, value-added products. So we started with sausage. Um, and we produce a lamb sausage, which is really great. But they're trying to get um, in- increased profit margins for uh, farmers, small farmers. Then there's a lot of like women in agriculture in New York. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that too because it seems unusual to me. You mentioned your husband, you know, isn't really the farmer; it's you. And, <laughs> and I love you, baby. <laughs> Sorry, but he's not. Well, I know, but is that? Do you find yourself unusual? Are there other women? like you that are, you know, forging ahead and being farmers without their husbands necessarily being part of the There the are, actually. And I did research on that. And oh. I don't have it with me, okay. but I know that it's decreased in the last year. 
per. Huh. Yeah. So this is tracked somewhere. But it is tracked. Yeah. yeah. And there are, I believe that it's, I don't even want to. But even without the research, just your own personal experience, you live in the hill towns. How many other women farmers are there? Because I can't think of one. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few. And they they do sheep. (laughs) Oh, all right. So, and then um, uh, we have some friends that do uh, goats and they do dairy goats. So they make cheese. But they're really just a couple doing it together. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot, I don't think. Well, more power to you. Thank you. (laughs) And do you have any closing thoughts? I sometimes miss the most important thing to someone. Is there anything else that you feel that our listeners should know before we... I think that if you want to get into farming, it's more of a... You have to make it more... It has to be a passion. Because waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to trudge through three feet of snow to go out to the barn to check on ewes that are going to deliver babies is probably not something that you do for money. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not. And as um, a farmer nearby that, you know, we, we joke a lot, Sandy Gordon, he has some beef cows, Gordon Farms. Um, and he says, you know, he makes negative 20 cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Calculated out. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you can't put, a value on your time as a nurse I can I can put it like this is what my time is worth but as a farmer it's they're part of your family and you don't tell your kids oh my time to you is worth you know $15 an hour or what have you it's just something you do because you love it and so it's more of a calling than a it job. is definitely a calling so I would say that anybody interested in getting into farming really should spend some time on a farm And just going through like a few months of an average day on a farm and they'll either come away going, this is my deal or this is not not for me. (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) Yeah. And here, just the coincidental nature of how you got into it, but yet it all fit. It totally fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, thank you, Emily. You you have enlightened us. (laughs) I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me.